does want you to be at rest with him. He wants you to have rest in your souls. And that's why he has given us so many exceedingly great and precious promises. God gives us promises so that no matter what, whatever you go through now or whatever you go through in the future, you can experience the rest and peace of God. Now, we all have problems. Can I get a testimony on that? We all have problems. Some of those problems come because we're human beings. We uh, live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. Uh, we live amongst fallen people. And we live in a world that is governed by a fallen angel. Job 14, verse 1, Job wrote, Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Some of us can testify to that. Now, some of our problems come because of our faith, because of our Christianity. You see, when you got saved, you became the arch enemy of the devil. You became the devil's enemy, and now everything that you do, he's going to come against. Now he will do everything in his power to keep you from succeeding as a Christian or as a man or woman of God. However, here's the good news. God is now your ally. And you can succeed. You can become the man. You can become the woman of God that he intends you to be. He will give you the victory. Now, some of our problems are minor. Some of our problems are major. For an example, you're late for work and your car won't start. That's a problem, but it's really kind of minor. You put in new carpet and your son spills something on it the next day. That's aggravating, but guess what? The son's still going to come up the next day, Lord willing, and it's not the end of the world. You burn the pot roast. Hubby's going to be a little upset, but make another one. You're overdrawn in your checking account. Yeah, you're going to get charged, but you can always put more money back in there. But whatever you do in these problems, we have daily minor problems in this part of our lives. Other problems, however, are major. Some problems are major. A doctor's report can bring life-changing news. Your business can go bankrupt. You can be abused or treated poorly. Your spouse can leave you for someone else. An accident can come and take away a loved one and bring tragedy like you've never experienced in your life. But I've got good news for you, and I want you to answer this question for me. If you're born again and you know it, would you say amen? amen? That's good news right there. You see, if you're born again, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, here's something you can know, and it's good news. There's always a plan. There's always a purpose. There's always a reason. There's always the comfort in knowing that God is in control of his children. 
He's at work in our lives, and he's working all things for good. Now, personally, I believe that Romans 10, 13 is perhaps the greatest promise in the whole Bible. You know it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be Amen. Amen. But after you've claimed that promise, after you've come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, after you become the Christian, then you can claim this promise, the promise I'm going to talk to you about today. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul writes to this Roman church and he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Friends, that's a fantastic promise. I've been talking about promises of God for the last three weeks. I can't get enough of the promises of God. But there are several things that you need to know about this promise. One, this is a very sure promise. Did you catch the first three words? And we know. And we know. It's not and we hope. It's not and we think. No, it's we know that this is true. This is an absolute, rock-solid, standalone promise inspired by God who cannot lie. And you can stake your life on this promise if you're a child of God. Now, we can know that this promise is true. In three ways. There are three ways. First of all, you can know that this promise is true through examination. Throughout my life, God has shown me repeatedly enough things in the light that I can trust him in the dark. God has shown me enough during my good times that when the bad times come, I can trust him in those as well. He has aced Every test, he has proven himself time and time again that he is completely trustworthy. I trust him. I have all my faith in God. You know, some people say that faith is blind, but faith isn't always blind because sometimes we put faith in things that we can reason in our own minds. Uh, for instance, those who believe in evolution... They got faith, believe it or not. They've got faith. They believe that a big boom created the world. Uh, in fact, I think they have more faith than I do because I can't believe that. But they have faith, but it's unreasonable faith. It's unreasonable faith. Friends, how many of you, by a show of hands, have a trusted family doctor that you've gone to, say, at least three times? Raise your hand. A trusted family doctor at least three times. Okay, good. Have you ever been to a doctor that you didn't believe had your best interests at heart? Raise your hands. Amen. We all have. You want a doctor who will earn your trust. You want a doctor who will prove he cares. You want a doctor who then, even if he tells you bad news, even if he tells you, News you don't want to hear. You can accept it and trust that that doctor has got a plan to treat your affliction. We should also treat 
our great physician that same way. We can allow our great physician to show us what's wrong in our lives, to diagnose our situation, to change our lifestyle if necessary, to prescribe something different for us, and even do radical spiritual surgery if needed, knowing in the end that the prognosis is going to be good for us. You may not understand the immediate, but you can always know the ultimate. See, God never does things to you. He always does things for you. And sometimes we don't see it immediately, but we will see it ultimately. We know this promise is true by our own examination. But we also know that this promise is true by example. There are countless biblical examples of this promise. I want to look at one today. I want to look at Joseph in the Old Testament. You know the story. Joseph is 17 years old, and he had some dreams of personal greatness, and he shares those dreams with his 11 brothers. Well, they get all offended, and they get jealous because they know that their daddy, Jacob, loves Joseph more than they do the rest of the boys. So all the brothers get together, and they conspire to kill him. But instead of kill him, they just sell him to some folks who are traveling to Egypt. And they, in turn, sell him as a slave to a guy named Potiphar, who was a captain of the Pharaoh's guard. But with the Lord, favor was applied to Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, found favor with his master, so much so that Potiphar made Joseph an overseer of his whole household. Well, it wasn't long after that that Potiphar's wife made a pass at him. Well, he wouldn't cooperate. She gets all mad. She tells Potiphar, Potiphar locks him up in prison. So here he is, doing what he thought he was supposed to do, and he's in jail. But while he's in prison... Joseph gets summoned by the Pharaoh himself and asks him to interpret one of his dreams. Well, the Pharaoh uh, listens to his interpretation. It was right on target, and he makes Joseph his right-hand man, in fact, second in command over the whole nation of Egypt. Then a famine hits. A famine hits Egypt and all the surrounding nations, and Joseph's 11 brothers unknowingly, mind you, come and end up coming to Joseph for some food. Listen to what happens in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed being in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And so they came near, and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. But now... Do not therefore be grieved 
or angry with yourselves because you sold me here? For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there's still five years in which there will be no plowing and no harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you, my brothers, who sent me here. It was God. It was God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of all of his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So all these horrible things that had happened to Joseph, were they against Joseph? No. God was working all along in the midst of all them for good according to his plan to save all of them. And in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, But as for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good, amen? God meant it for good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Joseph saw the big picture. He saw the big pick, as we all will one day. But even in the pit, even at Potiphar's house, even while he was in prison, even long before being exalted as second in command, Joseph Trusted the promise of God. Friend, you can enjoy the promise of God as well. We can know this promise is true, not only through examination, but also through the many biblical examples we find. But we can also know that this promise is true by our own experiences. Let me ask this question of you. If you would raise your hand, how many of you have been saved for 10 years or less? Raise your hand. Ten years or less. Okay, no problem. Now, how many of you have been saved for 20 years or more? Raise your hand. Amen. Praise God for that. Now, of you people who have been saved for 20 years or more, how many of you have gone through a very difficult time in your life where you didn't think you was going to make it? How many of you now years later can look back and see God's hand to see how God used that situation for good? Y'all seeing this? I wish you could see, everybody could see all the hands I just saw. It's amazing. We are knowing this promise is true by our own experiences. You can believe this promise first and foremost because God said it. Amen? You can believe it. But... You can also believe it as you look back and see how God has proven it over and over again in your life and in the life of other people by experience. So listen, if you believe that it was true of yesterday, can we not also believe it's true for today? Can we also believe that it's true for tomorrow and next week, no matter what? We go through, listen, my friend, this is a very sure promise. And we know. But this is also a very sweeping promise. Two words for you. All things 
All things. Say that with me. All things. Now, they say that one out of three people has above average intelligence. What I want you to do is I want you to look to your left. Now look to your right. If that person with above intelligence was not on your left or right, guess what? It's you. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't even have to be with above, above average intelligence, friend, to understand the wording here. What would be the exception to the words, all things? Does all things mean all things but this? Does it mean all things but that? No. Could it be that all things means even bad things? Could it be that all things refers to lonely things? Painful things? Bitter things? Sad things? Sorrowful things? Dark things? Dreary things? Friend, listen. In the original manuscripts in the original language of the Bible, God chose the strongest word possible for that word, all. And that word all means no exceptions. No exceptions. All things. And so, no matter what things, no matter what bad things may come into your life, friend, you can trust God to work it for good. That, friend, is a rock-solid promise for you today. If you're a child of God. A rock-solid promise. We should permit this promise to eliminate fear in our lives, to eliminate worry in our lives. But let me tell you something this verse don't say. This verse does not say all things are good. I mean, how foolish would it be to hear of a friend that has cancer and say, oh, that's good. That doesn't make any sense, does it? We wouldn't be human if our heart wasn't wrenched uh, hearing about a friend's car accident. How we would be brought low to hear of a, a little baby on life support. All things aren't good. But here's the good news. We serve a God on a much higher plane than we are and he cares about his children that are living down here below. He's the master of turning tragedy into triumph. He's an expert at turning good or bad things into good. That is the God you serve. Now friends, did you know that ordinary table salt is comprised of two poisons? That sodium and chloride in and of themselves is poisonous? If you digest either one of those alone, you are dead meat. But if you put them together, they can miraculously turn your wife's cooking into delicious food. Notice I said, your wife. My wife is an excellent cook. Amen? <laughs> Praise God for that. 
You should be listening better. Turn your wife into a great cook. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We serve a loving, heavenly Father who can take bad things and turn them into good things. It may not happen how you want. It may not happen when you want. But if you're patient, you can know that you know that all things are being worked according to God's plan. This is a very sure promise. This is also a very sweeping promise. But finally today, this is also a very selective promise. But we know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Friend, this promise is solely for God's children. So you're going to want to make sure that you're on the right team for this one. Amen? This is important. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you're not a child of God, even the things you may call good may be turned around and used for bad. For example, a man says, I make good money. That's good, right? No, that's not good. It might be bad. Because prosperity can keep him from getting right with God because he thinks that he don't need God. Let me give you another example. That man says, well, I've got a good education. i got more degrees than a thermometer. That's good, right? Y'all catching on now, huh? No, it ain't right. It might be bad because it might lead to arrogance. It might lead to pride, and he might decide, you know what? I don't need to be saved. I'm fine the way I am. Let me give you another example. That man says, well, I've got good health. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Y'all ain't saying nothing now. Amen. <laughs> well, hey, it might be bad. Why? Because some people have to be laid out flat on their back before they'll look up. Amen. So good health doesn't necessarily mean that everything's good. You see, for the lost, the good can be bad. But for the saved, friend, the child of God, the bad is always made good. Now let me look at that last phrase in that verse. To those who are the called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose for us? Why are we still here? Why do you even exist? I believe I found it in one verse. The prophet Isaiah says in 40, Isaiah 43, 7, everyone, say everyone. everyone. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, here it comes, for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. We who are called by the very name of God himself are created to glorify God in everything you say, in everything you do, in every attitude you keep, every time you proclaim the gospel with your family, with your friends, with strangers at church, you are called to glorify God. And listen, nothing glorifies God more than you recognizing his hand in everything you do whether it's good or whether it's bad, and decide that you're going to trust him anyway. 
that glorifies God. I read about an old blacksmith. Now, some of you younglings don't know what a blacksmith is, but maybe this will help you. This blacksmith had tons of problems. He'd get one problem solved, and another problem would come right up behind it. Well, there was also an atheist that lived in the village who was watching all the problems that this blacksmith was going through. And he said to that blacksmith, Sir, you sure do have a lot of problems. The blacksmith said, Yes, sir, I sure do. In fact, I got more than my share. And the atheist said, But I thought you claimed that God loves you. And he said, He does love me. And the atheist said, well, how do you explain all the problems you're facing? And that blacksmith said, sir, as a blacksmith, I'll take a piece of iron in my tongs and I'll place that iron in the fire until it's white hot. And then I'll take it out of that fire and I'll put it on the anvil and I'll hammer it and I'll hammer it and I'll hammer it, and then I'll take that, and I'll put it right back into the water. I'll submerge it in the water, then right back into the fire, then right back onto my anvil. Well, I will hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. And if I can't shape or mold that iron, then I have to throw it on the scrap heap. Sir, I exist for one reason, and that is to bring glory to God. So I have said to my heavenly father, put me in the fire if you must, strike me on the anvil if you have to, dip me in the water if you will, but please, dear God, don't throw me on the scrap heap along with this, this atheist. Friends, problems will arise. Tragedy will occur. Pain will be experienced. But for the child of God, the born-again child of God, he or she can be assured that everything, it's all working together for good. The big question for you today is this. Are you a child of God? What is God's purpose? Not only to bring glory to God, but the very next verse, verse 29, gives us a glimpse of what God wants to do in us and for us. He says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it comes, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, when I think about the life of Jesus, when I think about how he lived and what he did when he lived and all the things that happened to him, I know that Jesus brought glory to the Father. And I know that he did it through the good, the helping the lame to walk, the helping the blind to see, feeding the hungry, right? Telling people about the Messiah who has come, all the good things, but 
But I also know that Jesus brought glory to the Father through the bad things. Through every lie that was told about him, he brought glory to the Father. Every time that he was, had, had, had people turned their backs on him, he was bringing glory to the Father. For every stripe of the cat of nine tails across his back, he was giving glory to the Father. When nails were driven through his hands and feet, he was giving glory to the Father. When he went to that grave, he was giving glory to the Father. When he gloriously was raised from that grave, he was giving glory to the Father. What are you saying, Bill? I'm telling you that through the good and the bad, Jesus glorified God. And we are called to be in his image. Friend, are you a child of God today? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to get that promise in order before you get this promise I've talked about today for you. Let me pray for you. Father God, I praise you and I thank you for what you have done already through your word. Father, I thank you that this promise is sure, this promise is sweeping, and this promise is selective. It's for your children. Now, Lord, I pray if there's one that's here today that doesn't know you,